The information contained on the Real Health Podcast and the resources mentioned are for educational purposes only. They are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health. Well, welcome everyone. We're back at the uh, Real Health Podcast once again, and I'm Dr. Ron Huntinghockey. I'm the Chief Medical Officer here at the Reardon Clinic. And today I have the privilege of introducing once again, Mr. Michael Shaw. Mike is my trusty sidekick over in Dome 5, where we are looking at the whole person, but today we're going to kind of zero in at uh, a syndrome called the metabolic syndrome. And the reason I wanted Mike to be in on this is that he's had over 30 years of experience working in the cardiovascular field. And that's a big component of me uh, metabolic syndrome. It goes deeper than that, but I thought this is where we should start today. So Mike, tell us a little bit of how does the metabolic syndrome, what is it and how does it relate to heart disease and the risk of heart disease? Well, actually, um, metabolic syndrome is kind of made up of five different risk factors that in cardiology we would always evaluate in somebody coming in with a family history or, or personal risk history for cardiovascular disease. And uh, starting out, you know, usually a big culprit is too much belly fat around the waist. It's uh, hormonally active and disruptive and usually leads to things like elevated levels of triglycerides. Um, we focus a lot in cardiology on cholesterol profiles, but my interest was always pretty much focused on triglycerides because I think they're very atherogenic, meaning sticky. They can de help develop plaque. Uh, they're inflammatory prone. So another aspect that's always been talked about is the good cholesterol HDL. And uh, it, it's one of those five factors. Having a low HDL is counterproductive to not being at greater risk for cardiovascular problems. Blood pressure, of course, has been around for a long time as being a, a risk factor because of the way it influences the vascular wall. And um, high blood pressures don't lend themselves well to heart function or vessel function in the brain. And then elevated elevated sugar. Of course, everybody knows about diabetes, and it's a pretty huge risk factor because of uh, sugars not poorly controlled drive more insulin to be secreted, which creates more inflammatory drive that then in, disrupts the integrity of the vascular wall and makes it more susceptible to things that go through our bl bloodstream 24-7 
automatically start sticking to the wall. Yeah, and what's really interesting about insulin, insulin seems to be the the evil villain in this metabolic syndrome. And one of the things I'm having patients do, in addition to looking at the five risk factors that you just mentioned, is to start having your doctor measure your fasting insulin level. Because if you're running a fasting insulin level, you may or may not have these other five uh, risk factors, but a fasting insulin level is telling you right then and there that you have metabolic syndrome and that you are at risk for cardiovascular disease. And as it turns out, you're also at risk for cancer. Uh, Of course, you mentioned diabetes, uh, autoimmune diseases, uh, mood disorders such as depression, anxiety, those kinds of things can also be a factor here. And so uh, a number of chronic illnesses uh, are directly related to this metabolic syndrome. So you're not just putting your heart at risk, you're putting your whole sense of well-being. Alzheimer's is another one that I forgot to mention. And so uh, these are things that we all need to be aware of when we're going to our doctor uh, to have uh, us evaluated. But Mike, how... how you know, in your experience, how uh, how much does this affect the general public? What's what's some of the percentages in 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 the in the incidence? Well, one of the issues is is that <clears throat> upwards of sixty percent of the population is overweight. So that as a starting point, and most people that are overweight, most of the time it's collected around the abdominal upper abdominal area. That makes it more hormonally disruptive. So that's a, a big factor, the the weight issue. And the other is uh, a tendency towards a large part of the population to be fairly, fairly sedentary. Mm-hmm. If you can't burn up the calories that you're consuming and taking in, well, insulin drives the sugar into fat cells to be stored for future use. Yeah, and so... The other part of this is is it's not just belly fat; it's what they're calling visceral fat. Visceral fat, yeah. Yeah. So the inside of the abdomen, there, uh, there's a, a fat pad in there, and it will build up, and also liver fat. And it turns out that metabolic syndrome is very closely connected to uh, fatty liver syndrome, and this is uh, something that's rapidly. Uh, growing literally in in the United States and around the world, partly because uh, we consume not only just regular sugar, but the fructose corn syrup sugar tends to uh, accelerate this. And so when you have fatty liver syndrome, you are at risk of not only continuing to get worse and worse uh, uh, cardiovascular diseases and all the other diseases we mentioned that are associated with visceral fat, but you also could end up needing a new liver, a liver transplant, because this this can cause your liver to fail. So this, you know, it seems pretty benign. Hey, I'm just going to be eating a little bit extra sugar, doc. Uh, what's the big problem with that? Well, a little bit turns out to be more, and more turns out to be a lot. And over time, we have all these uh, severe consequences that uh, that begin to uh, show up. And, and it takes a lot of uh, change uh, in terms of your your daily uh, lifestyle habits to turn this around. Absolutely. Um, and lifestyle change isn't easy. And uh, 
you know, most of the studies say that if you have three or more of these risk factors, that kind of automatically puts you in the metabolic syndrome syndrome class. And um, yeah, and I think it's it's you know if you we go through these just one more time, uh, waist greater than thirty five inches or more for women and forty inches or more for men. Uh, that's that's very common these days. It's sixty uh, percent of the population. Yes. High triglycerides. You're going to have to get that measured. But most everyone, when they go in for their annual, they they do check a lipid profile. Yeah, and triglycerides are always included in a, a cholesterol profile, so it's readily available to be evaluated. A little sidelight on that. Uh, what's happened in the last thirty years is that we uh, we have demonized what were the common fats, the saturated fats. And I'm not promoting saturated fats per se, but what's happened is that uh, most of your packaged uh, foods and your restaurant foods uh, are now using a so-called plant-based fat, but unfortunately it's a polyunsaturated fat that where these double bonds are very unstable and they end up becoming rancid or hydrogenated, especially when you're cooking French fries and high heat foods. You're you're setting, uh, you're changing the constitution of these fats, and they are disrupting your mitochondria, which is the part of the uh, cells that generates energy. And I'm going to say to make this real simple for people, I, the most common symptom that I hear about and that I've read that is the most common symptoms that doctors are approached with is fatigue. And so if you've got metabolic syndrome, you're almost always going to have uh, fatigue, trouble sleeping. You never, you never can seem to get enough uh, rest and you're, you're drowsy. All these things are, are a little, they're not something that you can measure like your waist size, but subjectively, you know that for some reason, you just don't have the energy that you used to have. Yeah, that's that's right. And I <clears throat> I think things with when you have your your glucose and insulin mechanism interrupted and and you don't get the flow of energy into cells appropriately. I mean, the brain has to have a continuous flow of energy in order to be able to to think, your muscles to perform. Um it's all kind of tied together. There's a lot more to this conversation, and it's coming up right after a quick break. Today's podcast is brought to you by Live On Labs, makers of liposomal vitamins and supplements. Live On uses a liposomal encapsulation technology to protect nutrients from destruction in the digestive system. This allows for more efficient delivery of essential vitamins and nutrients. Choose from various supplements that support health and well-being, such as lipospheric vitamin C, magnesium, glutathione, and more. To learn more, visit liveonlabs. That's L-I-V-O-N-Labs.com. The scary stuff for me, uh, we dealing here at the Reardon Clinic more and more with cancer patients, and it's becoming pretty clear that high insulin levels are a driver for cancer cell growth. It's a, it's a growth factor. And so when you have high insulin, you're not only going to grow around your waist, but if there are tumors there in your body, that can drive the growth of those tumors. So 
memory too plays into this. And uh, of course, the number one thing people think about in terms of blood sugar is diabetes. And certainly uh, you're going to be more prone for type 2 diabetes. But how many people realize that the metabolic syndrome is associated with type 3 diabetes? This is where your, your brain can no longer absorb uh, sugar as well as it could. And so then your memory and your thinking starts to go downhill. And, and this is due to insulin resistance of the brain. And so people have gotten interested in uh, the ketogenic diet for this particular reason. What, what are some of the other things that a person can do, Mike, that would help them uh, deal with their, their metabolic syndrome if they, if they begin to realize, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm heading down the wrong path here. What do I need to change in my lifestyle that'll make this better? Well, one, when you look at the approach to foods, you know, trying to use less refined products and move away from sugar-based products and adding more fiber, whether it's in fresh fruits and vegetables or whole grains, but more fiber. Um, and you already mentioned making good choices on selecting the fats you're going to consume versus the unhealthy fats. And of course, monounsaturated oils are are much more appropriate than uh, I, I like those the best. Probably second would be polyunsaturated, but you sure want to avoid some of the other heavier oils because they're pretty well atherogenic. Means they can stick to the right. vascular wall. <clears throat> um, trans fats, of course, are another issue. Avoid anything that is even close to a trans fat or if it's on the back of an ingredient label uh, or that it's been deep fried or cooked because a lot of times those kinds of oils are like trans fats. Alcohol content, stay active. Yeah, the exercise piece is turning out to be really important. And I think people are getting that and they I see more and more people getting out and walking and running or they have a gym membership but they have to uh, be active at least two to three times per week in order to get the full benefit of exercise. And, and exercise alone, uh, unfortunately, will not always do a very good job of bringing the weight down. So the approach to this metabolic syndrome is a multifaceted approach. Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, you could walk a really long ways, and then if you don't alter the course of your dietary preferences, you're going to have an uphill battle being able to outdistance. I've always told, told my patients, you, it's pretty hard to outdistance what your mouth can do in a fraction of the time, no matter how physically active you are. I mean, you, you have to be considerate of the choices you make that you're going to consume because... Some of them are really hard to burn up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's so the and the way I kind of look at this is for people to first of all realize that no one's going to do this for them. It's an active choice that they need to make in the context of their own life. They need to make room for better food choices. Uh, sometimes that means clearing out the kitchen of all the bad stuff. You know, as, if it's there, you're probably going to eat it. Your best way to control your choices is what you buy at the at the grocery store. And if you uh, if you give in there, you can pretty much bet you're going to go ahead and eat those those types of things. Yes. 
Now you work a lot with people on on weight loss, so I'm just starting to talk a little bit about what are some of the ideas that you think are really appropriate for people who are beginning to realize their waist is getting the 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 pants are fitting tighter, they're uh, they're getting tireder, they're they maybe they've had a high triglyceride level, their blood pressure is going up. What sort of uh, other lifestyle interventions do you think are beneficial? <clears throat> well, a lot of times if somebody comes in and they, they have an extra 25 or 30 pounds that they've gained and they want to try to lose weight, I, I will work with them on, on some kind of a focused dietary approach to where we reduce their daily calorie intake and try to increase their daily calorie output by being more active. And Usually we'll give them a dietary protocol with recommendations and suggestions on uh, sample type meals that would be better suited for accomplishing the task rather than just kind of randomly stumbling through it. I um, try to focus on foods that don't have a lot of cholesterol and a lot of triglycerides in them and uh, more bulk-type foods like the vegetables and fruits and with higher fiber content. You know, intermittent fasting has caught on here in recent times, and that a lot of people say, well, I, I can't do that. I just can't do that because, uh, you know, if I, if I don't eat, I'm going to get a headache or I'm going to f- uh, get really tired. Well, that's a pretty good sign right there that you've got uh, the metabolic syndrome. And so... But intermittent fasting could be as simple as uh, eating a breakfast a half an hour to an hour later than what you normally do, and or cutting off your after-supper eating because uh, not only does that interfere with some of your good quality sleep, it, it, it disallows you from having a period of time where your body is able to use up its carbohydrate stores and to start burning fat. Yes, I try to encourage uh, patients to think if they're struggling with being able to do like intermittent fasting during the day is is widening out their period of not eating that it also incorporates the nighttime when they're asleep. And just don't eat quite as early in the morning, maybe wait till 10 o'clock and try not to eat much after 6 or 7 in the evening. So then you have this expanded time of no eating and a lot of it's being consumed by sleep, so it's not as. Of course, that's why they call the first meal of the day break fast. It's a, supposed to be a period, a time of fasting. People who do eat during the night, very often the reason they are is because they're having hypoglycemic reactions. In, in the morning. And so then they feel like they have to eat. Or if they don't get up and eat, that those hypoglycemic reactions will disrupt their sleep. And so uh, poor quality sleep can be part of the, uh, the deterioration that goes on with metabolic syndrome. Anyway, we could go on and on. I think this is a good introduction to our audience to help them become more aware of the prevalence of metabolic syndrome. There are some estimates that it may be as high as 80%, 85%. It's just the not everyone who has metabolic syndrome is overweight, you can have it and and be normal weight. So, so I think it's it's up to our listening audience to once again uh, take responsibility for your health and well being, 
And if you can identify it at an early stage and make uh, uh, effective interventions, it will pay off in the long run with uh, uh, a reduced incidence of all kinds of medical problems. Well, and I, I think also, I mean, most patients have available to them when they go to their doctor the cholesterol profile. And in that cholesterol profile, if you look at where your triglycerides are at and where your HDL is at, because a low HDL and high triglycerides are two of the risk factors for metabolic syndrome. So I, and then <clears throat> also looking at, um, where your blood pressure is. If you if you are consistently at 100, 130 over 85 or higher, well, and your, where your blood sugar is at. Everybody goes to the doctor once a year, has a metabolic panel, there's glucose in there. If you have a, a glucose above 100, but below 126, we call that pre-diabetic, and that's too much glucose, and then it the response is, is insulin's being poured in to try to get it under control. So these are objective, and you only have to have three of these objective three. standards. Uh, and then subjective, you're, if you're tired, if you're just not feeling well, and you have these, any of these or a significant number of these, think in terms of having metabolic syndrome, own up to it, because if you start now, you can avoid a lot of long-term health issues. So, Mike, thank you very much for, for being on our program well, again. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, and I, and I hope everyone in the audience this has kind of given you uh, some motivation, information, and motivation to uh, take charge of your own health and make changes now while it's easier, because it only gets harder if you uh, can't see in, in the mirror changes that are uh, putting you at risk for uh, a whole number of chronic illnesses. So thanks for listening in. This is Dr. Ron Hunting-Hockey. Thank you for listening to The Real Health Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit reardonclinic.org where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.